Hey Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuild the Bull podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and we're going to continue our executive decision series today with our special guest, Michael Walton. Mike is part of the Action Network and also is a contributor and editor at Bulls Confidential. He's been on the podcast a few times before. I called on him last year to offer some of his expertise on upcoming prospects in the 2020 draft. And of course, with the Bulls not having a first round pick this year, I still wanted to have Mike on in some capacity. And I thought, well, why not have him on for this series we're doing? For those of you that are just maybe tuning in for the first time, or you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the last uh, few episodes, we're doing this executive decision series where our guests come on and play the role of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, the Bulls' brain trust. And their objective is to use the 2021 offseason to build a viable playoff team for 2022, and then in the next offseason, set the table for building a top team in the Eastern Conference heading into 2023. It's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, Our last guest, though, I think opened my eyes to something. And before we bring Mike on, I want to chat with you about this Bulls Nation. You know, Edward Schuler had come on. Edward Schuler, of course, is the co-host of the Bulls Gold podcast, does great work with Salim Surdawala. And Edward was the first one to throw out the idea of adding Kyle Lowry to the Bulls roster next year. Now, when we were doing the first two episodes, I kind of threw out Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley's names to our guests as free agent options, but not really realistic given the price tag. Mike Conley's making $30 million a year. Kyle Lowry's making $30 million a year, roughly. And they're longer in the tooth. But Edward brought up a good point, that if you're the Chicago Bulls, isn't that the perfect kind of person you'd want to add to this roster? At the time, I thought, do I want to add an old guy? He's not really a top-tier superstar, very productive player, all-star caliber player. But does he take the Bulls to title contention? And then I, I started thinking, you know, look at the teams that have made deep runs this year. There's two I want to definitely point out with recency bias at play here. The Phoenix Suns right now are in the NBA Finals. They made a key acquisition landing Chris Paul. Now, Chris Paul is one of the best floor generals in NBA history. And with him being added to a rising Phoenix Suns roster, they were able to make it to the NBA Finals. Another team, Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks prudently spent money in the offseason adding Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari. But perhaps the biggest reason they improved was Trey Young. Trey Young, of course, took a massive step up. And watching Trey Young and Devin Booker in Phoenix, you see these guys that are really talented. And, you know, a year or two before, they were sort of in that same position as Zach Levine, where we didn't know where their ceilings were. We didn't know what kind of superstars they can be in this league. And I think that's what's got me sort of excited about the Bulls. Now, there is another thing to point out here. The Chicago Bulls don't have great point guard play right now. There's no doubt that's what got Phoenix into the NBA Finals. And there's also no doubt that Trey Young's elite play at the point guard position got Atlanta to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Chicago Bulls are desperately searching for a point guard to lead this roster. Now, 
tying this back to the Kyle Lowry conversation, he is going to probably command a lot of money. There's no guarantee that he wants to come to a team like Chicago because Chicago isn't really necessarily title ready yet. But there is an intriguing core. You know, you have Zach Levine, you have Nikola Vucevic, who were all-stars this past year. And you do have some other intriguing pieces like Patrick Williams and Kobe White, who, you know, even though he's not a traditional point guard, could definitely benefit from being a combo guard off the bench and probably would be a lot more productive in that role. So there is a solid core to kind of add to this offseason. And a guy like Kyle Lowry would bring elite-level point guard play to the Chicago Bulls. And to Edward Schuler's point in the last episode, that's what the Chicago Bulls need to really take that next step. Of course, one thing to keep in mind, the Chicago Bulls only have $23 million in cap space right now. And somebody like Kyle Lowry or even Mike Conley is probably going to cost you somewhere around $25, 27-ish million dollars a year. So that means the Bulls would have to do some finagling. They have to trade off some pieces, maybe opt to release Tomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young to create some cap space. But regardless, it's an option worth considering. I really believe that. It's an option worth considering. And I definitely want to see in these upcoming episodes, starting today with Mike, what our guests think about adding veteran point guard options like Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley to the mix And if that's a viable scenario to create a playoff team next year and top-tier team in the Eastern Conference a year down the road. Anyway, let's not waste any time. Let's bring Michael Walton in now. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on. How have you been? Uh, It's going great, man. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, A busy season for me over at the Action Network with the NBA is wrapping up. So soon all eyes will be sort of turned towards the football season. Um, But of course for us, you know, we'll still be knee deep in the NBA offseason as as a Bulls fan, you know, it'll be very exciting to see if AK can finally fill the point guard void. So even though the on the court action will be dying down as a Bulls fan, they will there will definitely be a lot of things to get excited for in the offseason. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why I decided to do this executive decision series was to get Bulls fans excited for this offseason because it, it is a pivotal offseason in terms of charting the course for the franchise for the next couple of seasons. It's kind of funny. In the past, I've had you on to break down draft prospects, but of course, with the Bulls not having a first-round pick, this is probably the next best thing I could do for you, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, I know a lot of people aren't as excited as me about the Bulls having a second-round pick, but I'm really looking forward to that because, as everyone knows, uh, AK played a big role in the Nuggets finding Nikola Jokic in the second round. So obviously I'm not expecting the Bulls to find a future MVP, uh, but I do think there are some interesting options for both point guard depth and possibly uh, some interesting big then when you talk about that second round. So the Bulls might walk away with an interesting prospect uh, with mm-hmm. that pick in the second round. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So the Bulls still have a little bit of draft intrigue. And then I know you brought up yourself, Matt, uh, off the air. You know, you never know if the Bulls are going to trade into the first round. So 
Um, definitely a lot of exciting draft bows for the Bulls still. But, yeah, I am a little sad that obviously uh, we didn't get that top four pick. But I didn't expect anything otherwise. So Well, and you know what? I'm going to have you talk a little bit about maybe that second round when I have you get into this plan. So to reset here and fill in our listeners maybe who are just tuning in for the first time or haven't listened to the last few episodes, uh, Mike is going to play the role of the Bulls brain trust, Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley. He's going to lay out a plan to make the Bulls a viable playoff team in the 2022 season. And then he's going to also lay out a plan for the following offseason of how to get the Bulls into the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. So, Mike, are you ready to play the role of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley? Uh, I mean, again, I don't envy those guys, but again, I don't have that actual pressure that they do, so I will do the absolute best that I can. Yeah, and I'm not compensating you, really, at all. <laughs> so, you know. Exactly, so the pressure is really, really lacking. <laughs> all right, well, let me let me kick it off by asking you a question I've asked every guest that's come on as part of this series. When you look at the roster right now, what do you think are the biggest needs for this team? Uh, yeah, so that's like the hardest part for me for the Bulls when you're looking at building a winner comes to when you get to those finishing touches and sort of filling out the roster. And then when you brought up 2022, that's when I said, oh, man, that's when I'm going to be in some real damn trouble. Because, <laughs> you know, when you look that far ahead, it really is that, you know, not that far because it's coming up. But it's scary because you don't really know the state of the team because so much of the Bulls future depends on this upcoming season. So, uh, but when I look at this roster right now, the biggest needs on the team easily are number one, just playmakers who can limit their turnovers. Um, I say playmakers because obviously you would want a point guard, um, but beggars can't be choosers. So, you know, even if there's some world where the Bulls get Ben Simmons on a super low value because no one in the league wants him, that would be great because, again, he's a player who has a high assist rate and maybe doesn't necessarily limit the turnovers but gives you a boom or bust playmaker. But in terms of realistically, the Bulls just need a level-headed point guard who can get you some assists without making mistakes and turning the ball over. That's like number one on the list. Um, you know, no matter what website you look at, no matter what metric you use, uh, the Bulls are one of the bottom 10 teams in terms of turnover rate, turnover percentage. So they just need to clean that up because one of the more interesting things when you do a deep dive on the Bulls, you know, it doesn't take long to see that they were a pretty competent team on offense in terms of shooting. Uh, you know, they had a great effective field goal percentage, which factors in three-point shooting. So they were able to shoot well from the field, but they made so many sloppy mistakes and turnovers and offensive fouls that we didn't really get to see them use that offensive skill. So a point guard who could really get things in order would do wonders for the offense. Um, that's the first thing. Uh, I think the second thing is staying on the offense because there's no reason a team with, you know, Zach Levine and Vucevic shouldn't be a top offense. Um, you need players who can draw free throws because Levine can get to the free throw line. Uh, but that's something you're seeing as a problem right now with the Milwaukee Bucks in the finals is that, you know, Giannis can get 18 free throws and then there's no other person on the Bucks roster who has more than one or two free throws. Uh, the Bulls suffered from a similar problem last season where you saw Levine getting to the free throw line a ton and no one really joining him. And then once Levine went down and it was sort of the Nikola Vucevic show, uh, you saw Vuce not really able to do much. And when he did get to the free throw line, 
there wasn't really any other player joining him, occasionally Kobe White. And Patrick Williams just wasn't there yet in terms of offensive aggressiveness. So that's the second thing you need as a player who can draw free throws. And then the final two things is just focusing on the defense. You can't really be, you know, again, beggars can't be choosers. So Bulls have a lot of defensive issues, but the main one is they couldn't stop anyone on the perimeter. And if you can't guard anyone on the perimeter, it's really exposing Vucevic and it's not doing him, you know, any favors. It's really doing him a disservice. And it made Vooch look a lot worse on defense than he was at times. Uh, something I realized when you look at the film from the second half of last season. So the Bulls need players who can actually stay in front of their guy on the perimeter. And then the final thing is rim protection. And that's really just like an extra because in today's league, rim protection is almost also a weird by committee thing where everyone sort of commits to rim protection because of how much switching is in the league. But at the end of the day, the bulls need to look at the scrap heap, whether that's the second round or a free agent and find another Daniel Gaffer type, ironically, um, someone who can protect the rim and really clean up the defensive glass. The players who can get to the foul line. um, Where do you think that needs to, to come? Do you think that's getting more wings on this team that are athletic Uh, As far as getting to the foul line, it's interesting. So it does start with uh, one player, first and foremost. And, you know, I I own his jersey. I'm not putting too much pressure on him because I think everyone is putting this sort of pressure on him. Uh, But obviously, I'm going to say Patrick Williams. Uh, Patrick Williams, in his first year, was obviously feeling out the league. Uh, He did a great job of being an efficient player, even though he was still sort of a, a background guy that didn't do enough to sort of warrant free throw attempts but um something that was interesting that i just wanted to note with patrick williams uh you know he hardly got to the free throw line but he shot 72 percent you know just under 73 percent i think that's something you're gonna see go up next year especially as he gets to the line more so first and foremost you need to see patrick williams get more aggressive because he will get to the free throw line simply because the way the league is so you know obsessed with switching on defense we saw it this last season, you know, or this, you know, last regular season, every night there's pretty much a team that's willing to switch a guard who's six, four or shorter onto Patrick Williams. And all it takes is for Patrick to get a little bit more confident in driving to the basket and developing some post moves in the off season. And I think, you know, he doesn't necessarily use those moves to make the shot because developing touch in the post isn't something that happens overnight. But just having those moves and having the confidence to attack in the post is what's going to get Patrick Williams to the free throw line. And hunting those mismatches is very easy in today's league. So that's something I really want to see from Patrick. And then outside of that, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Matt. It is personnel. You know, Garrett Temple, even Thad Young, a lot of the veteran players we love, their specialty wasn't exactly beating players off the dribble or overpowering guys to draw free throws. So uh, in the words of the former Garpax regime, you know, you do need to get younger and athletic um, and not even necessarily, you know, necessarily younger, but you need players who are going to, again, offensively be aggressive and getting to the basket. And just off the top of my head, I feel like that's something where you're looking more maybe to 2022. Uh, but this offseason, there are a number of players who are, you know, who fit the little bit of a younger veteran mole who I think, a mold, excuse me, who can really help the Bulls. Just off the top of my head, Tim Hardaway Jr. is somebody I would look at. You know, I don't think he's going to leave what's a great setup in Dallas, 
But he's a player who's right in that age range of hitting their prime and has shown that he can be a part of winning basketball. So I think he brings something in terms of shooting, defensive versatility. And again, you want as many as, as you just mentioned, those wing size players who are in that 6'5 to 6'9 range. Uh, so the Bulls can play it a variety of ways because they were they were able, excuse me, to be a great defense, you know, while primarily playing a drop. But again, something you're seeing in the NBA finals, you need to be able to play different ways. You need to be able to dr- play drop defense and switch. You need to be able to be a three point shooting team, but also generate, you know, inside touches against the certain personnel. So adding to the Bulls versatility is key. Uh And the only way to add to that versatility is getting the type of players that aren't currently on the roster. So that's why I'm looking at athletic wings who can shoot. And unfortunately, everyone in the league is always looking for those type of players. But the Bulls have a leg up on the competition and the fact that Eversley and Karnaschovas have a very strong track record with being able to find the diamond in the rough. So um, I'm confident in it. But as far as that free throw thing, you know, it's it's mostly personnel. But with a player like Patrick Williams, you know, his development is something that could obviously turn the tides in that because if Patrick Williams all of a sudden turns into that guy that's getting to the free throw line, you know, even just four or five times a game, uh, that's a huge difference. And that's asking a lot, but it depends on how big of a part of the offense that he's planning to be next season. And based off of the way that everyone around the Bulls talks about Patrick, uh, you know, you would expect him to take a decent leap in terms of his usage rate on offense. So this actually, uh, I was going to say this for later on, but let me ask it now. Is Patrick Williams a three or a four, in your opinion? I think um, that was something that I had already made my mind up about coming out of college with him. And then I sort of changed a little bit, but I'm still leaning uh, to my original thought process. And that was that he is a four. And his draft selection always signaled to me that marketing obviously wasn't a long-term uh, part of the team's plans. Now, I always think that could change because he is restricted, so you never know if marketing's just going to be a rotation player for the Bulls moving forward. But I do think Williams is a natural power forward, and I think that comes from the fact that he's not as quick as you would want as someone who's primarily going to be on the perimeter. And I think the Bulls envision him as a player who would play at the four but has just enough strength and quickness to be able to maybe move up a position and play small ball center or move down a position and play on the wing occasionally. But I think mostly in the future, as he gets older and stronger and more experienced, you want Patrick Williams to be a power forward who can be your center in small ball lineups. Um, You know, something envision what PJ Tucker does, you know, when he was playing center for the Houston Rockets, Uh, you know, when the league's moving in that direction, when you have a team that all of a sudden, you know, just, just like for, Example sake, if you're playing the Brooklyn Nets, you know, this is three, four years down the line, Kevin Durant's playing center uh, and there's all small guys on the court. That's primarily a time where you would want to be able to play Patrick Williams at center at the five and then have a variety of wing and guard players around him. So ultimately, I think you always want him in that four or five spot. And then maybe you can play him at the three when you have a team that doesn't have any bigs and you just want to abuse them with their size. And then you would go you know, maybe Patrick Williams, Thaddeus Young, Vooch to go mega big lineup. But I think for the most part, you want Patrick Williams at that four spot because, again, that's where on offense he can really take advantage of his quickness, which is what I just was sort of hinting at with getting to the free throw line. And then once Patrick is able to get to the free throw line, that, you know, boosts his confidence and sort of opens up the rest of his game. And I think you already see Patrick Williams making an impact or at least – 
showing that he's ready to make an impact one day on defense. So if you start to boost that confidence on offense, I don't think it's too hard to envision a future where he's an impact player on both sides of the ball. So, you know, it doesn't matter if he's getting all-star nods in the future for Chicago. All that matters is that he's able to be an impact player on both sides of the ball. And I think last year, uh, we were fortunate to see that the advanced numbers suggest that, you know, he was a little bit better on offense than defense. And I think that's unfair. And that's where you got have to combine the eye tests with the numbers because Patrick Williams offense was great because he didn't take a lot of shots. And when he did, he took mid range shots that he knew he could make, but his defensive numbers are worse than they should be because of course the guy was playing the three and he was guarding Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, the best players every night. And that's what's going to happen. So, yeah. And, and that's one thing that I think I noticed it. And some of our other guests that have come on to do this series have mentioned that too, that you saw that he played his best defense against fours. So like, I, to me, you brought up great points there of why he can be an impact on offense at the four. But I think that's where we can actually see that, that beast mode level defense come out is when he's guarding guys that are more in line with his size at the four. Um, I want to bring up one point that I think is really important. It's the Zach Levine contract situation as we move through the offseason. This is something that could loom well into the season. If you're playing the role of Karnaschovas and Eversley, right, how hard are you working to get Levine extended now? Or do you think there's no real hope there? He's just going to hold out for more cash and elevate his situation next offseason because if he waits he does make more money because of his bird rights but how would you be handling this situation if if you were the bulls brain trust yes yeah, so it's not uh, too difficult for me this is something i talked often uh with bulls confidential uh, again that's bulls c-o-n-f dot com uh ryan borja is our cap specialist i talked to him often about this he did a great uh off-season breakdown sort of going in painstaking detail over sort of every permutation of what the Bulls can do this offseason. And I'm talking, he literally gives you dates uh, as to when things have to go down and decisions have to be made. So I'll make sure to retweet that on my Twitter at uh, Zen Master Mike so people can read that. But basically, I would try to get an Zach Levine extension done as soon as possible. Um, I think it's a no-brainer just because as Karnaschovas, you know, I don't know if, you know, he was being serious when he said this, when people take a new job, you have to say all the right things. But he said he was using the 2021 season as an evaluation year. And if that's the case, Levine made his first all-star team uh, and had pretty much career highs across the board, even showed great renewed effort on defense. So, and he looks like he has a great relationship for all intents and purposes with Billy Donovan has always represented the bulls excellently off the court, uh, which is so important to me. So I don't see any reason not to try to get an extension done with Levine. But what I will say is the way the modern NBA works, optics matter. You know, these guys are all individual brands. They care about that sort of thing. And, you know, Karnaschovas is no dummy. You know, he knows just like all of us, the dates and how, you know, Levine, if he waits an additional season, I believe uh, his max extension changes to the five year, like $190 million extension, I believe, if he waits. Um so all of these guys, usually just like any human, you know, they want the most amount of money they can get because if you deserve it, why wouldn't you want that? Um, and I think in Levine's case, that's what he wants. So if I'm Karnaschovas, I'm making sure, you know, I'm not going to lowball Levine. I'm not going to go to Levine 
with an offer that I know he's going to turn down or that he can get anywhere else. Um, I'm more just going to start a dialogue. I think you approach it in a soft manner because you also don't have to commit anything to Levine right now. If as Karnaschovas, you're still not sure uh, what you want this team to look like. You know, I floated in the past, you know, how do we know that uh, Karnaschovas isn't angling long-term to trade Zach Levine in some big package for Bradley Beal because of the Billy Donovan, Bradley Beal connection. Now, of course I was saying this, you know, way in the past before Zach Levine turned into the star that he is today, where it's debatable if Bradley Beal, you know, how much better he is than Levine, though he is clearly maybe a little bit better. But I think at this point, Levine is amongst the upper echelon of players. You get the extension done if you can, but realistically you go to him as Karnaschovas and you say, we want to get an extension done with you. Um, But at the same time, we understand if you want to wait, because when you leave that offer on the table for the player to decide, I think it shows the loyalty. It means a lot more. And at that point, you know, I think Levine right now is waiting to get the longest extension and the most money he can. But I think if you give him the option and come in it respectfully, Levine's the type of dude where if he really loves it here in Chicago, he may just consider signing the extension now. And for a team like the Bulls that may already be planning to operate over the salary cap, um, getting a superstar like Zach Levine under an extension as soon as possible is awesome because it opens up a bevy of opportunities for you elsewhere to sort of fill out the roster. So if the Bulls want to be a winning team, it's going to be about sort of filling out the margins because you sort of already decided that Levine and Vucevic is your core. And unless you're planning to pull off some massive trade that I can't see coming, um, you know, you're not realistically adding a third star. So I think you really have to make sure um, extending Levine, whether it's right now or in the future, it's the number one priority because otherwise, you know, I'm, you're sort of starting the whole clock all over again on, on being a winning team, I think. So let me jump now to around draft time. And as I mentioned earlier, the Bulls are without their first round pick. Now, one of the things that I've thrown out in each episode is the possibility of trading back into the first round. Is that something that you would be willing to entertain? Is there somebody on the roster that you're okay parting with to get into the first round? Or would you just rather take your shot with a potential high upside second round pick? Uh, so it's tough. I'm, I'm of two minds. I think the first thing is I would definitely right now just realistically stay put, um, use that second round pick and maximize it. Maybe, you know, throw in some future second round picks to move up slightly in the second round. If there's a player uh, you really think is going to be a big difference maker uh, or more than a difference maker, just able to be a rotation player right off the bat, uh, which is really all you can ask for in the NBA draft. If somebody can even contribute a little bit in year one, that's excellent. Um, I would trade into the first round, but the issue is what you said there, not sure what player I would give up. I'm seeing as I think uh, in conversations with the guys from Bulls Confidential, I think the Bulls will be probably trying to operate as an over the salary cap team this off season. So I don't think they would mind uh, maybe giving up a future draft pick to get uh, into the first round. Now I forget the outlook of their picks, like in terms of what they can trade off the top of my head, I believe they're allowed to trade their 2025 first rounder uh, and then maybe their 2027. So, you know, let's say there's some player around, 16 through 30 who the bulls really really like and wanted to target if they had a pick and a team just really wants to get out of this first round 
because I've read reports that there are some teams that would just like to get out of this draft altogether and look forward to future drafts. If the Bulls can find a team like that, you know, maybe they don't mind punting on the 2025 draft for a player in this draft. Now, that's a dangerous game to play because you don't know where your team's going to be. You don't know with high school, college rules, you know, what type of prospects you might be able to get that far in the future. But I wouldn't begrudge them trading a future pick for a guy you think you can get right now. Um, And then the second part of that was on on the guys that are currently uh, on the roster in terms of like just who you would move. um, Kobe White is injured, but just because if the front office isn't sold, you know, that he is going to be the answer at point or even a capable backup point guard, that's someone you would move because, you know, if you think you can find a cheap uh, combo guard replacement in the future, Kobe isn't going to necessarily come with a cheap price tag in the future, uh, considering his pedigree as a lottery pick. But I love Kobe and think, you know, obviously off the court, his personality, everything is great. But from an on-the-court perspective, he's shown much more fight defensively than he gets credit for. And when you consider that he's an offense-first player, I think he has real potential to develop into much more than people are giving him credit for. Um, So it's really tough because outside of Kobe – Uh, I'm trying to think if like maybe a Troy Brown Jr., just new players on the roster uh, that you aren't committed to long term uh, could be moved. So Troy Brown Jr. is definitely the number one name that comes to mind. He's 21 years old, but uh, even he's going to be restricted soon. So what would he fetch, you think, though? I mean, it's probably going to be low end of the first round, if anything, like anything probably below, what, 25 for a guy like him? Uh, If you're trading Troy Brown, just because he is 21 years old and you do have those restricted free agent rights, I think you could actually get in the high teens. And by high teens, I'm talking literally maybe like 17, 18, 19. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly because of the teams in that range. The Grizzlies love players like Troy Brown, you know, those rangy wings who can handle a little bit and play some defense. Uh, The Knicks obviously love players with a defensive background and Thibodeau. I think, you know, it's easy to see him falling in love with Troy Brown. And then with the 18th pick is OKC. And obviously they're the number one team you look at because OKC obviously is planning on stockpiling many draft picks and assets for the future. But at some point you do need players and Troy Brown is 21 years old and a restricted free agent. So because he's under team control, OKC may be willing to move uh, that 18th pick for a player who they can have under team control, who's a little bit further along because OKC also has the 16th pick. So again, maybe they do want one prospect at 16 and one at 18, but I think there's a high probability uh, seeing the way OKC operates that they trade one of those picks uh, in the high teens to get a young player that they like uh, to sort of help that rebuild. So I think you can get a post lottery pick. That's interesting. uh, If you're willing to package maybe like, that second round pick in Troy Brown or a future second in Troy Brown. Well, yeah. And then it, it's certainly going to be interesting, like for the real Arturis Karnaschovas in this draft, because, you know, he does have a reputation for finding some gems. He was really the biggest cheerleader and biggest scout in the room when the Denver Nuggets drafted Nikola Jokic in the second round. And uh, there's a lot of hype from last year's second round pick, Marco Simonovic, who might actually be coming to the Bulls sooner rather than later. 
Um, I want to get to some pieces that are on the roster right now and see what you would do with them if you were the Bulls brain trust, Mike. So I'm going to start with, with Laurie Markkinen. Laurie, of course, is a restricted free agent. We heard Arturis Karnaschova say at the end of the season press conference that he's still part of their plans. It sounds a lot like a smokescreen, like probably he's in their plans to be moved in some type of sign-and-trade. What would you do, though? Are, are you interested in bringing him back You know, on a qualifying offer or on any type of deal, or do you just want to let him walk? Uh, so I'm I'm definitely not interested in bringing him back, and that's no disrespect to Lowry. It's simply just because, again, I think Patrick Williams, who the Bulls took with the top five pick, um, so obviously a huge part of the future. I think Patrick Williams is a natural four, so that means Lowry would be your backup uh, power forward. And I don't think – I mean, Lowry's made it clear with his statements. You know, he literally said he thinks he's a starting player in this league. So it's hard to imagine him wanting – to come back to a situation where he's coming off the bench and while he is restricted and the Bulls could keep him, you know, nobody wants an unhappy player in their locker room. And again, Lowry was sort of underperforming, you know, with the possibility of getting a big contract with the Bulls. So there's no reason to think that an unhappy Lowry coming off the bench would perform any better than what we saw already. So, um, it starts with the fact that because he does have some serious value around the league still as a seven footer who can shoot, I don't think I would be willing to let him walk. Um, but the big issue is that the longer you keep Lowry around, obviously his cap hold is a very real thing that prevents the Bulls from making uh, deals in free agency. So if I'm AK and Mark Eversley, I operate like this with Lowry. I am every day, which I'm sure they already are, making phone calls, trying to figure out a sign and trade for him. Because I think there are plenty of teams that are willing to sign him to a much bigger deal than, you know, the average fan would expect. And you just have to be able to find those teams and then come to terms with the deal. So, you know, I'm not sure if you're prepared for me to be thinking already, but plenty of teams have been, I think, loosely linked to Lowry. And one team that I remember I saw that made a lot of sense is San Antonio just because of their track record with European players, with big men. You know, they have a great shooting coach, but Lowry's already a great shooter. Um, there are rumors today, uh, What you know, like you said, whether or not it's a smokescreen, I believe Zach Harper of The Athletic had it, uh, that DeJounte Murray and some of the Spurs backcourt players would be available, um, despite these players being very young and for the most part quite effective, would be available in trade talks. Now, the Bulls don't have draft picks, obviously, that San Antonio would be interested in. But if the Spurs really like marketing and think he can be a part of their future and for some reason are looking to move off of DeJounte Murray, um, it's very easy to do a sign and trade uh, with Murray and marketing. Murray right now, I think, makes just over 15 mil a year. Um, and then marketing's cap hold, I believe, is at 20. So I'm not even sure if a team is willing to pay him 20 a year. But even if he's getting like 16, 17, 18, I think you can do a DeJounte Murray for marketing deal where maybe the Bulls have to give up a few second round picks or something because the Spurs know at the end of the day that Murray is the better player. But they, again, they're the ones looking to move on. So I really think you call up aggressively teams like the Spurs and try to see if you can move marketing because then you're killing two birds with one stone because you get off of marketing's money, mm -hmm. but at the same time, Murray at six foot four is in dominant defensive guard. 
uh, who can start at point for the Bulls. And I think he's exactly what you need next to Zach Levine. He's a guy who can guard literally yeah. one through four. So that would start to build the type of team that I think the Bulls need to be envisioning. And it's a team that defensively is really switch heavy and perimeter, you know, defensively strong around Zach. And then you pretty much just let Zach Vucci go out and worry about getting buckets. So that's an interesting sign and trade type package. And we've heard some other teams kind of rumored around Laurie. Another uh, one that's been thrown around is Dallas. And we also heard, I think, uh, the Raptors kind of earlier in the offseason. There's some kind of intriguing pieces there. You know, you brought up Murray with the Spurs, with Dallas, Jalen Brunson potentially. And with the Raptors, we'll talk about this a little bit later. I don't want to go too far down the road. Maybe Kyle Lowry. Well, really quick, I want to put a note in that. Uh, first, Casey Johnson, shout out to Casey Johnson, Bulls insider, NBC Sports Chicago. He absolutely loves Jalen Brunson and has yeah. absolutely been banging the Jalen Brunson drum this offseason. Yeah. But I wanted to mention with the Raptors, you said uh, Kyle Lowry. While I do love him, a much more, I think, reasonable uh, trade that could be uh, I could actually realistically see this happening. OG Anobi, uh, mm. or excuse me, OG and OG Anobi yeah. has a lot of potential um, and defensively is dominant, but also offensively started to show a lot more, you know, shot creation this past season. So you can do a Lowry for OG deal. He makes 16 mil a year. And I think he's another player that comes in and right away, you know, makes an impact with the Bulls. But as you were saying. Yeah, let me let me give you the one quick one last note on Laurie Markkinen before we move on. Is I just have this feeling he is going to get twenty million because there's going to be some GM that has to make a move, and it might be a, a kind of a dry free agent class. So why not bring the guy with potential upside in at seven feet, who's a stretch four? For $20 million. I could totally see it happening. I feel like there's always one or two guys that that get the bag. And I think he's going to be one of them. And it might... I mean, I know as a Bulls fan, I would not want to pay him $20 million a year. But I do think another team is going to try to take a, a swing at it. Yeah, and I mean, the way the league is set up now, you know, we have to adjust for the money. You know, when you see Chris Paul's making 40-something million, same with John Wall. $20 million isn't what it used to be in terms of, you know, stature and, you know, place in the oh, yeah. league. So um, it's why I really wish that the Pelicans coveted Lowry. Maybe David Griffin has a great poker face and the Pelicans actually do want Lowry because, you know, when you see the figures thrown out about Lonzo Ball, the money he's expecting, it really would be such a clean fit um, to sign Lowry and Lonzo almost to an identical contract exactly. starting at like 20 mil a year and doing a sign and trade. And I think there's a case to be made that with Zion, Lowry obviously has that floor spacing fit, but the Pelicans were already bad at defense. So I can't really see why they would want to add him. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that everyone sees Lonzo as this obvious fit. So it would be great if the Pelicans coveted Lowry. Something to keep in mind uh, with those sign and trades, I'm not sure the legality of how many picks, but if the Bulls were desperate enough, you know, I'm not sure if fans would be okay with the Bulls maybe throwing in a future first with Lowry uh, in, in a desperate attempt to get Lonzo in a sign and trade from the Pelicans. I personally don't think I would go that far just because there are other options, uh, but it is something to keep an eye on. I want to do some rapid fire on these next three guys that I want to bring up. So real quick, Tomas Sadoransky. He could be released uh, to free up about $5 million of his $10 million salary. So really, it's just a $5 million cap hit to get $5 million back. 
Um, what are you doing with him, though? Are you going to cut bait with him? Do you want to keep him as a, a backup because he is an effective role player? Or do you try to move him to free up that salary and maybe use his contract in one of these sign-and-trade? Um, I think, unfortunately, you probably you, you let Sato go. And it comes from a place of just the fact. Um, with his first year in Chicago, he obviously didn't live up to the three-point shooter that he was supposed to be, uh, 32% from three. A lot of that has to do with Jim Blum's offense being not very creative. He lifted that three-point percentage up this year to 35% from three, which was actually great. But weirdly enough, he took two three-point attempts per game, uh, which obviously is not enough in terms of volume, even if you consider yourself a good three-point shooter. So I wouldn't bring Sato back just because he didn't provide enough offensively. He was a great playmaker who rarely turned the ball over, but he wasn't a player I think you could rely on for a high usage rate. And that's sort of where the Bulls are. You know, even if you have a player who you feel like is much, you know, or excuse me, even if you have a point guard who feels extremely overpaid compared to Tomas Sadoransky, it's okay because you need a higher echelon of point guard that can handle a high usage rate. And Sadoransky, like you said, he's a great backup and great as a role player. But I just think his time on the Bulls showed that he's a great player, just not someone you can capably rely on to be a starter. So I just think right now you, you sort of renounce him when you get that early date because you can really use that cap space. Do you think there is any potential to trade him away? Like, I think, I don't know why. I feel like there could be situations, and I'll give you one. Um, Charlotte Hornets who could end up losing out on Devontae Graham and might need a veteran backup to back up LaMelo Ball. Maybe that's a scenario, but do you think it's going to be too hard to just find a partner to take on that salary? Um, I mean, when you look around the league, there's always a partner, especially when you look at teams like OKC and Houston that are sort of going to be going in fire sale mode soon, I think, where they're going to try to get rid of all of their big contracts. I mean, in the case of OKC, they already don't have any. Uh, But, yeah, I think you really just have to cut ties because you have so much work to do in terms of finding a trade partner for marketing. You almost don't want your front office to be oversaddled with too many responsibilities. And if the easiest option is just getting that money by renouncing him, you do that because even if you like him and you want to bring him back, of course, you can still negotiate with him uh, throughout the entire free agency period to eventually do a 180 and work on bringing him back at a certain number. Uh, Thad Young is another player similar to Sato whose contract can be partially unloaded. So you can release him to free up $8 million of his $14 million salary in 2022, so that would only leave you with a $6 million cap hit. Now, he was a vital role player, especially early in the season for the Bulls, and you know this is a team that you want to see get into the playoffs in 2022. So would you keep him? Or are you cutting bait either via trade or releasing him to free up salary? Um, so I, I 100% keep that. Um, and this first comes from a place of what you're trying to build. Now, again, this is just me sp- speaking personally on my opinion. So AK and Mark Eversley could look at things differently. But the Bulls obviously want to be a playoff team. And that starts with having strong veteran voices in the locker room who know how to win, you know, have been to the playoffs and sort of know – what they're trying to get these young players to experience. And Thad Young is is obviously all those things, you know, I just said, you know, I still remember as a Bulls fan, 
Thad Young, I believe, being a part of those Sixers teams that beat Chicago when Derrick Rose went down with the first big injury, obviously. So Thad Young's been around. He's a winner. Um, I think the obvious elephant in the room is Thad Young and Zach Levine have a great relationship on and off the court. And that goes back to the fact that Zach Levine was a rookie in Minnesota and had a relationship with Thad back then. But when we're talking about the thing that matters most, most, which is on the court, um, Thad Young was perhaps the Bulls' best passer before they acquired Vucevic in terms of, you know, playmaking from the post. And really, I think the reason the Bulls were able to operate as a competent offense a lot of times without a point guard was just because you had Thad Young and Vucevic, two bigs where you could slow it down, give them the ball, and they could literally run the offense to where having a player like Thad Young was great because, again, same with Vooch, it lets somebody like Kobe White, all they have to worry about is cutting, you know, getting to their spots on the floor to get open shots. Kobe's not worried as much about running the pick and roll and getting everybody their shots, which is something he'll pick up as he gets older. But Thad Young takes so much pressure off of these guys in terms of decision-making, uh, both offensively and defensively. I think you have to keep him around. Now, the obvious issue, as you just hinted at, Matt, comes from, you know, the money and how much you're going to pay him. But I think Thad is such a team-first player, and I really, it really does feel like he wants to finish his career in Chicago. I don't have any inside information on that. It's just I'm not sure if people remember, obviously, when things were going poorly under Jim Boylan. Um, there was serious noise that Thad Young was considering retiring at the end of the season. I mean, he's had a great and long career. Um, so with that in mind, his family seems happy. He seems happy. Obviously, his relationship with Levine is great. And his on-court production isn't going to be what it was last year. But I think you can expect the same thing on offense because, you know, you don't lose your experience and your know-how and your passing. You may see a slight drop-off defensively. But again, Thad Young's not going out there playing 35 minutes a night. So I think you talk to Thad to see what his intentions are in terms of how long he plans to play. And again, this guy's made a lot of money in his career, so maybe it's not necessarily important for him uh, to get a big contract. So if you can get Thad Young to agree to maybe, you know, not a minimum deal, obviously, but a lower team-friendly deal to where you renounce his rights early and then renegotiate something, that would be great. So with Thad Young, I would be trying to see first and foremost if he's willing to take a little bit of a team-friendly pay cut to help the Bulls build a championship contending team, which obviously I would imagine is, you know, Thad Young's goal. Um, and then again, if Thad Young's not at that point in his career and he's not willing to take less money, I think that's okay. You just offer him a shorter term deal because he's still vital to what the team does right now. Um, but you do have to break down to him. And I think Thad Young himself understands, you know, he's an extremely smart guy. He knows that for the Bulls to be a playoff team and a winning team, he can't necessarily be the team's third or fourth best player. And so he knows the amount of money that he makes on a yearly basis affects how much the Bulls can give to the players they need to become a winning team. So I don't think it's going to be very hard to re-sign Thaddeus Young to a team-friendly deal. Um, and that's what I definitely would try to try to do with him. You mentioned this earlier about rim protection. And Daniel Tice, I think, was when he came over after the deadline and ended up starting next to Nikola Vucevic, I think you saw his value as a rim protector at the four. Uh, and even as a backup center, he, he showed you he'd be very productive. He's set to enter unrestricted free agency. 
He just came off a year where he's making about five million dollars, and the mid-level exception is nine million. But there is a chance he could get more than that. So if it were up to you, are you trying to lock him down at that mid-level exception if you can? And if he's worth more than that on the open market, let's say a team wants to throw ten or eleven million dollars a year at him, would you be willing to do that? Uh, so my catchphrase nowadays when it comes to bigs is they are a dime a dozen. So unfortunately, I would not um, re-sign Daniel Tice. And I just want to start off. It doesn't come from a place of hating on Tice or anything. I think Tice is a great player. As you said, um, he was a jolt in the system for Bulls fans when he first got here because we haven't seen a player in quite some time who combined athleticism with actually being able to read plays as they were happening and having the high enough defensive IQ to actually make the blocks that we saw Daniel Tice make. You know, I think the first week he was with Chicago, he had like three highlight reel blocks. So um, obviously the Bulls are missing that sort of rim protection elsewhere on the roster outside of Thaddeus Young. And Vucevic obviously isn't a player uh, that brings that sort of rim protection, but he does enough in terms of defensive rebounding where I think the drop defense if the guards and people in front of him play hard, that he's fine. So the reason I didn't like Tice as much, it was more because of Billy Donovan, honestly, but we saw a lot of Tice Vucevic lineups, which were more just because of, you know, the Bulls health and sort of what they had night to night. But Tice and Vucevic didn't work together because obviously they're, they're both centers. And while Tice is a nice three point shooter, um, he's a great rim protector, and too often playing him with Vucevic obviously spaced him out to the floor where he couldn't stay in front of guys. So putting him in a position that he's not good at, you know, obviously does him a disservice. So I think if we saw Tice able to play more straight-up backup center with the Bulls, he would have looked a little bit better. Um, and the Bulls can provide him that opportunity this season because if you get rid of marketing and play Patrick Williams at the four – you theoretically have a lot more minutes to where you can play Patrick Williams at the four and Daniel Tice at the five. And I think that's actually a great defense pairing, but you brought up the key point, Matt, which was Tice can make more money in the open market. I think he, despite playing poorly with Vucevic, which is to be expected, I think he did enough with the Bulls and with the Celtics to show that he's worthy of decent money, maybe even starting center money, (laughs) depending on what team he goes to. And you already brought up Charlotte multiple times. Uh, Charlotte is a team that I could see just straight up creating the cap space to offer a nice hefty contract to Daniel Tice, um, hefty enough that the Bulls wouldn't really be interested. So there are plenty of teams that I think could use a center, um, potentially even a starting center, that would be willing to pay Daniel Tice. And with the way the free agent market is shaping up, I don't think it's very hard for the Bulls to just find a backup center who's willing to come to them for that that mid-level exception money. Okay, so to recap for our listeners, Mike is not bringing back Laurie Markkinen. Really no surprise there for uh, probably a lot of Bulls fans. He's releasing Tomas Sadoransky. And with Thaddeus Young, I'm going to make an executive decision here. I'm going to say that he doesn't decide to rework his contract with you. So uh, if that's the case, you're still keeping him? Yeah, in that case, I would still keep Thad because uh, okay. you can you can still have a path to good cap space by maybe renouncing Lowry straight up or, or still working that trade. Right. And with Daniel Tice, he's waving goodbye as well. So let's get into the fun part. Let's get into the free agency period itself. So before you hopped on, 
I mentioned that there's kind of this growing buzz with different reporters that cover the league and around the team. They've kind of mentioned names like Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley when it comes to the Bulls. Also, in our last episode, Edward Schuler, the co-host of the Bulls Gold podcast, when he did this plan of attack for free agency, he brought Kyle Lowry into the picture. Now, originally I thought that's kind of a pipe dream because of the money, his age. But when I really started thinking about it, it does make a lot of sense because we're looking around the league right now and one of the teams in the NBA Finals right now, the Phoenix Suns, uh, really accelerated with elite-level point guard play. And that was because of the acquisition of Chris Paul. Now, I'm not saying Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley are Chris Paul-level point guards, but they're certainly very productive point guards. Are those two names that you would be interested in potentially looking at? Now, I do know that the Bulls only have $23 million in cap space, but there are ways to create space. In fact, you just freed up $5 million by releasing Tomas Sadoransky, but you could probably do some other moves to make cap space. So again, are those two names that you would consider adding to the mix? One of those two names. Uh, yeah, so as you said, Matt, this is definitely the most fun part when you get into the Bulls trying to sort of nail finding that key piece, which essentially is that starting point guard that can push the team over the top, a la Chris Paul with the Phoenix Suns. And uh, yeah, I figure... This is probably about as good as time as any to plug uh, something we have coming up at Bulls Confidential. Um, so, again, that's bullsconf.com, bullsconf.com. Uh, we have an article coming up basically uh, titled, Can the Bulls Find Their Version of Chris Paul This Offseason? And then I sort of go in and in detail break down the two players who I consider to be the Bulls' Chris Paul candidates. And uh, those two players are pretty much the aforementioned Kyle Lowry and then Mike Connolly, uh, who will be an unrestricted free agent coming off the Utah Jazz. And he's an interesting name that I came to after I sort of already finished the Lowry portion because I realized that there were a lot of reports that people were expecting Connolly to, you know, automatically re-up with the Jazz, but their cap situation is a little complicated with Mitchell and Gobert on the books and Conley made some statements that he isn't necessarily 100% committed to just going back to Utah you know he's still looking for the best opportunity to win so a lot of times players are instructed by their agents to say things like that you know most likely he stays in Utah but again the guy wants to win uh conceivably maybe something convinces him that there's an easier pass path in the east uh so he's a player to keep an eye on so in short to answer your question Matt um, I definitely would be looking at both uh, Kyle Lowry and Matt, uh, excuse me, Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley. And it's because they fit the mold of exactly what the Bulls need. Um, now, in terms of not turning the ball over, I would say Mike is a little bit better at protecting the ball uh, than Lowry. But they both scored, you know, around 17 points a game. Uh, they both were great assist men. The interesting thing, just specifically talking about Lowry, um, You know, they're both proficient three-point shooters, but something I noted, Lowry was much better at finishing at the rim. So based off of Billy Donovan's offense and how the Bulls like to attack, especially this past season, it's very important that Lowry came off of a season where he shot a career high at the rim. Um, I always use cleaning the glass just because uh, Ben Falk's website, Clean the Glass, it, it filters out garbage time. 
And it's pretty much one of the best subscription-based sites for analytics. But so Kyle Lowry shot 64% at the rim this past season, a mark that would easily make him one of the best finishers on the Bulls. And the reason that's so important for Chicago is they weren't like most teams to where their big was rolling to the rim every time he set a pick. I think, you know, I I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I think more often than not, or at least close to half of the time, you saw Vucevic popping to the three-point line or popping to the mid-range area instead of rolling to the basket. And so the issue for Chicago was, let's just say, you know, Kobe White or Sadoransky's out there. Kobe White and Sadoransky both aren't players who are known for beating guys off the dribble and finishing at the rim. So when Vucevic sets a screen and pops out to the three-point line, they don't always know how to take advantage of the attention that Vuce draws. And honestly, they're not always physically able to take advantage of the attention Vooch draws by getting to the basket. Insert a player like Kyle Lowry, all of a sudden when they run that pick and pop and defenses run back to Vucevic to sort of cover the three-point line, now Lowry has a straight line drive to where he can either attack, you know, a slow-footed big man or attack a guard getting to the rim to where he can use his strength to generate more free throws or open three-point shots. And the Bulls were a great three-point shooting team already. So again, all you need is someone who's generating even more of the looks that you were already knocking down. And then again, I just mentioned Lowry's a bulldog when it comes to getting to the free throw line and knocking off players who are similar sized. So he would really fit in terms of putting pressure on the rim and then allowing Vucevic to sort of flourish even more at the three point line. And I think the Bulls would have one of the best pick and roll attacks in the league. And then of course, we all know that Kyle Lowry is great at defending players even who are, you know, a little bit larger than him, and he has very quick hands. So I think he's taken a step back defensively, um, and that's sort of something you expect with age. So I think Kali may actually have the edge, in my opinion, in terms of defensive ability. But I think Kyle Lowry uh, would be an interesting fit because of that rim pressure that he can bring on offense. But uh, in terms of those two players I mentioned personally, I think I would lean Connolly a little bit more just because he's younger. And I think that while his injury history is worse, I think the fact that he shot 41% from the three-point line with Utah shows that he is in a phase of his career to where he might be a legit just sniper from deep. And I think adding Conley would be a little bit better because, again, he really doesn't turn the ball over while having a little bit of a higher usage rate than a guy like Lowry. So I think the Bulls would be able to get a few more years uh, out of a Mike Conley than as opposed to a Kyle Lowry, who I think realistically, if he chose to go to a team like Chicago, you're maybe talking about a one-year deal where the Bulls were able to scrap together $30 million, uh, to get one year of Lowry, which I'm not sure would be the best way to sort of uh, build a sustainable title contender. So I keep seeing like the sweet spot figure with both – Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley where it's somewhere around that 25 to 27 million a year for maybe two or three seasons um, that it might come down just because of the age with those two guys. But I guess my follow-up is, do you think either of them would actually be interested in coming to Chicago or do you think it's more of a pipe dream? Realistically, I think it's more of a pipe dream. Um, Lowry, I think for sure already has his destinations lined up to the point to where I think we can guess where he's going and my heart would say, you know, I I think most likely I I think he stays in Toronto just because I think he's that kind of guy. But if he doesn't, I think Miami for sure 
would be a landing spot for him just because I believe him and Jimmy Butler have a pretty good relationship. Miami doesn't really have a lot of pieces, but they have enough young players to where I think Toronto would be willing to get something done there just to do right by Kyle. Um, And then Philadelphia, obviously Kyle's a Philadelphia guy. And so it's conceivable that Ben Simmons, obviously, or even a lesser piece is a part of a trade that gets Lowry to Philly. So there are teams that are just in the upper echelon above Chicago uh, they could get Kyle Lowry that I think would sort of be a step above them. But again, there are rumors that the Lakers, uh, a team that could use Lowry, are trying to get Kimba Walker from OKC. So if we see agreements in these coming weeks to where teams take themselves out of the running, the Bulls may be able to position themselves to be the best possible team for Kyle Lowry just by waiting around and having everyone else sort of do things. But, um, you know, Mike Conley, I think you have a better chance. He's a, you know, he played at Ohio State. Maybe for some reason he just wants to be a Midwest guy again. Um, maybe him and Billy Donovan have a future, you know, a prior relationship. But So let's go through that next tier. Uh, who would you be putting on your wish list? Give me the top three real quickly. Uh, so it's, it's really tough just because um, what's funny is when I look at the players that are going to be, you know, the, the main point guard free agents in this upcoming class, I see pretty much clear weaknesses, you know, with everyone Um, just off the top of my head, you know, a guy that I really love is Spencer Dinwiddie, just because the fact that he was coming off of an injury, you know, it seemed, you know, obviously there's nothing that indicated he's going to be a hundred percent or the same player, but if he is, um, he seems like he would be a great fit because he can shoot the three, obviously an excellent passer and is used to playing with multiple ball handlers as we saw when he played with D'Angelo Russell. And I can imagine that same fit with Zach Levine to where they're sort of interchangeable on ball, off ball, both able to knock down the three and prevent or, and present real problems uh, for defenses in the pick and roll. But the issue with Spencer Dinwiddie is there are plenty of reports going around, could be smoke screens that, you know, he's already expecting well over, you know, 110, maybe 120 million. And so do I think he's worth that money? If he comes back healthy, yes, but without knowing, uh, it's tough if he automatically is going to be demanding, you know, the max, max value. Um, I'm not sure if you would want to, you know, marry yourself to that contract. But I do think from a strictly skill perspective and what he brings offensively, Spencer Denway is a great fit. And the fact that he brings some size, you know, I think that while defensively he's not the best, he's at least big enough to where he can be a switch defender and you still have a very big backcourt with he and Zach. So Dinwiddie would be on my list. Um, He's probably number two under Lonzo Ball, who's still number one. Um, I don't need to rehash Lonzo too much because I'm sure everyone's heard about him and we've all talked about him, but Lonzo's a big point guard. Defensively, he's excellent. Really shown the past few seasons that he can be a knockdown three-point shooter. And the biggest thing about Lonzo is he's a weird point guard in the fact that he doesn't really dribble a bunch, but that makes him a perfect fit for Chicago because we have Zach Levine, who, of course, is a high-usage shooting guard who does dribble a lot. So, you know, Levine and Lonzo are just an easy, perfect fit. Um, So I would go Lonzo, number one, Spencer Dinwiddie, number two. Uh, And the number three is a weird – is going to be a weird player probably for you to hear, just you probably weren't thinking of him. But number three on my list is Dennis Schroeder. Um, and I come, at for, I come at it from two perspectives. From number one, um, I think it's a value play in the fact that the lasting image people got of him playing with the Lakers wasn't great. 
He obviously played, I think, you know, debatably some of his worst basketball um, as a Laker in that final stretch there. But overall, defensively, he's very feisty. He has quick hands that can generate steals. Um, Not really a player who can switch, you know, a bunch necessarily. But I think in terms of the Bulls' base defense of where guards need to fight through screens, you'll see Dennis Schroeder fight through screens. Um, And that's an important part of the Bulls' defense, what they need on the perimeter. So defensively, I think he has some real value. And then offensively, Schroeder is lightning, you know, fast. One of the fastest players in the league in terms of just end-to-end speed. So I think he would help the Bulls get out and transition more, which is important for Zach Levine and Patrick Williams. And then also in the pick and roll, he would be able to use his speed to get to the rim. Uh, He's great at drawing fouls. So I think he's a player that as a point guard would be able to help sort of remedy that free throw issue. Um, This past season with the Lakers, you know, he was averaging four free throws a game and shooting 85% from the line. So Schroeder's a player who really helps you clean up that getting to the free throw line and getting to the rim. And if you look at cleaning the glass, he was one of the better point guards in the league in terms of, you know, scoring in the mid range area specifically. So for the Bulls, they don't have a lot of guys outside of Zach and Vuch who flourish in that mid-range area. Again, the Bulls are great as a three-point shooting team. So Schroeder is someone where when he does a pick and roll or pick and pop with Vooch, he can actually hit that floater or that mid-range jump shot. And if defenses have to respect him in the mid-range, then that just makes Zach Levine and other players even bigger off-ball threats. But he's third on the list because, again, his defense has always been kind of iffy. Uh, he's not the greatest in terms of turnovers and in a perfect world, the bulls get a guy who doesn't turn the ball over a bunch, but one of the best years of Dennis Schroeder's career was in Oklahoma city when he played under Billy Donovan. So we know there's a prior relationship between Dennis Schroeder and Billy Donovan. So I just think the writing's on the wall there that that's a realistic match because when you look at all these names we just talked about in terms of point guards, money is really going to be flying And Dennis Schroeder, a guy who I think is expecting, you know, $20 million a year or more, he might be the odd man out to where there's not a lot of teams vying for his services. And the Bulls might be able to sneak in and get Dennis Schroeder on, let's just say, a two-year $40 million deal with a team option. Now, Bulls fans don't like to hear that, I don't think. You know, you don't want a world necessarily to where you're paying Schroeder $20 million a year because that doesn't sound like the big splashy name that you wanted. But he's a competent starting point guard. Uh, he's 27 years old, and he gets you much closer to being a playoff team because, again, he does bring some true strengths as a starting point guard. And the key thing I mentioned with that potential deal for him was any deal for Schroeder I think will be under four years, and it's going to have a team option because the whole point of the deal for the Bulls would be you're giving Schroeder a tryout to try to reboost up his value with Chicago, and then he can hit the open market maybe before he turns 30 and cash in on another contract. So that's a situation where it could be a win-win for both parties, even if it's not the splashy name that fans are expecting. All right, so as we move on here, I also want you to give me one wing player and one rim protector that you're going to set your sights on for the Bulls this offseason? Yes. So um, if I was looking at this upcoming upcoming offseason, 
Uh, and I'm trying to pretty much, you know, stick to my plan, like you said, of sort of building the team that has a little bit of versatility um, and can fit around Vooch and Le- uh, Levine. I think the players I'm looking at on the wing, um, I would look at signing. I already mentioned him. If you can pry Tim Hardaway Jr., if you can get him away from Dallas, I would look at him. Uh, if you can sign Danny Green uh, coming off of his deal with Philadelphia, you know, I don't know how much money he's looking to make, but Danny Green still provides excellent defense and streaky three-point shooting. But the main thing for Chicago is you need somebody to start with that defensive base first. Um, another wing player who I would look at, Josh Richardson. Uh, Josh Richardson has a player option, I believe, in Dallas. And he had a absolutely terrible season um, in his first year in Dallas, but he also had COVID-19 and a bunch of injuries and things that were really, you know, unfair to judge his season based off of last year. But, you know, at his peak, Josh Richardson was an excellent three and D player um, and he's still pretty young. So I would look at Tim Hardaway Jr., Danny Green and Josh Richardson in terms of the wings. And then when I'm looking at bringing in a rim protector, uh, I'm just trying to keep it simple. I'm looking at veteran guys who I've seen in winning situations who I know can slide right in. Um, So I'm looking at Dwight Howard, if you could get him. Uh, A player I really like that I would try to bring in is maybe JaVale McGee. (laughs) Obviously, there was a time where JaVale McGee was a laughingstock, but now the guy's won a bunch of NBA championships. He's an older player, uh, and I believe his value with Denver last year was around four mil. So he's a guy that you might be able to sign for that mid-level exception. And the important thing is you need players who know their role. And, you know, JaVale McGee can mentor younger players and doesn't mind being that backup big where he knows that he's playing, you know, 10, 15 minutes for Vooch or some nights, depending on the matchup, he might not, he might not play at all. Um, and just one more name to throw out there for rim protectors, uh, Boban, Boban Marjanovic. Obviously, everybody loves Boban. Um, I believe Dallas has early bird rights and might keep him, but – if for some reason Boban hits the market, he's obviously awesome to have as a massive body that you can bring in if you need a little defense for offense substitution. Okay, so I'm going to have you make one final decision here. Of the three you mentioned, who's the guy you're going to sign on the dotted line? Who's the who's the point guard you're going with? Ball, Dinwiddie, or Schroeder? Ah, <sighs> oh, man. It's, it's really tough, and I'm thinking because for Bulls fans, you know, I want to give them – you know, Dinwiddie, who's a guy who I literally, you know, met and have talked to because I was actually working with the Windy City Bulls at the time that he was with the Windy City Bulls in the G G League. So I've seen Spencer Dinwiddie up close and personal. Um, But just because of the history of players coming off of an injury, you know, not really hitting the ground running and the type of money he's going to demand, I'm sticking with, you know, whether or not Bulls fans want it, I think it's the most realistic in what may happen here. I'm sticking with Schroeder um, as the guy they're signing. But – with that in mind, I don't think you're necessarily um, even signing him to $20 million. You know, he's coming off of a deal uh, that was, I believe, $16 million a year. So I think you might be able to get Schroeder for, like, anywhere between 17 to 19 a year, uh, which would obviously be, again, a steal for a player who I think any other year uh, would easily be able to clear $20 million, but I'm not sure if he'll be able to do that. So for Bulls fans' sake, um, they, I will say the Bulls, in my hypothetical here, they signed Schroeder, but they signed him on a, a team-friendly contract for sure.
Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check out part two of this episode by subscribing and finding more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you stream your podcasts.